This is the Convergent Science Network podcast. Leading researchers in the domain of neuroscience, brain theory and technology are interviewed by Paul Verschur and Tony Prescott. This is Paul Verschur for the Convergent Science Network podcast here at the Barcelona uh, Cognition, Brain and Technology Summer School of 2018. And um, I'm with me, uh, Elena Galea. Welcome to the podcast, Elena. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Great. Um, and your, your talk was uh, about uh, astrocytes and uh, also was immediately um, uh, instructed not to call them glia anymore because they're astrocytes. So uh, maybe that's also a good starting point for the discussion, right? So why do we have to drop this notion, glia, and focus on astrocytes? Well, because it doesn't make any sense to classify cells between neurons and non-neuronal cells because the non-neuronal cells are so different among themselves. This is like saying in the whole body that you're the body is divided into heart and the rest of the organs, mm -hmm. intestines and liver. It makes no sense because those organs are so different. That you, they have different problems and different features. So you have to focus on them individually. So the non-neuronal cells include cells that are so different in their functions and in their molecular phenotype, in their contribution to pathology, contribution to higher brain functions, that just uh, Classifying them, just putting them together in a single concept, it just uh, mm, doesn't force us to look into the details. I think details are very, very important. Right. Names are very, very important because they, they guide uh, research and they guide the understanding of problems. So it makes sense, one century ago, to say neurons and the rest of the brain. Now it doesn't make sense any longer. Okay, so basically you're saying with many cell types in that, that build the brain. Some of those are spiking, they generate action potentials, those are the ones we call neurons. But then the many other cells, which is a very variable set of cells that formerly were known as glia, the non-neuronal cells, but it is not in any way descriptive of this variability. And then among this highly variable set of cells, we have a subtype called astrocytes, right? So what then sets the astrocytes apart from this, these other non-neuronal cells? Well, first, molecularly, they're different already. They have a different identity. And they carry functions that the others don't. They don't generate myelin, like oligodendrocytes. They don't deliver blood, like the vascular cells. They don't uh, protect neurons from some danger like microglia, so at least they don't do what other things do. And perhaps they do things like uh, providing lactate to neurons, uh, removing potassium from the extracellular medium, they transform glutamate into glutamine, so they have very, very specific functions that they only exercise do and none of the rest of the cells do. So this is what is important to focus on them. But they stand apart also on purely morphological grounds? Morphologically, uh, yes, depending on what comparison you carry out. Because there are other cells in the brain called NG2 oligodendrocytes 
they are like between astrocytes and microglia. So if you compare an astrocyte with a neuron, they're very different. So neurons have their dangerous spines and axons, while astrocytes are very, very complicated cells, bushy cells with very intricate uh, distal processes. But NG2 have also primary, second, tertiary processes and some dense distal processes, so they are intermediate. And then microglia, they have very long processes and they don't have the distal processes. So it seems that there is a morphological gradient in, in the brain that differentiates neurons from microglia, but not so much NG2 from astrocytes. Vascular cells are very different from the rest of the cells. Oligos are very similar to, to neurons in many ways. So depending on the comparisons you establish, that the morphological differences are larger or, or smaller. But yeah, morphologically, they are very, very different. Okay. Absolutely, and molecularly and morphologically, very different. So in the human brain, we have about 90 billion neurons, right? according to the most recent counts. Um, do we have then 90 billion non-neuronal cells? Um, there is another, what is her name here? Culano. Yeah, so those calculations, yeah, that's a fantastic work. That, there are papers. She, she has analyzed that mm -hmm. in, with very objective uh, technology. And so the answers are there. I don't think that. I don't think the answer is that equal amount of neurons and non neurons. It's 50-50? I think it's 50-50. Depends on the... Depends on the animal, depends on the area of the brain. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's 50-50. So she has calculated those, okay. those numbers. But now, that of the non-neuronal Do you cell, think this is relevant, like numbers of Well, there's many ratios. Like ratios. Say, if it's like, well, you, you gave some numbers actually in your talk, right? Where you, you said that, um, where do I have On it? average. In humans. On average, like two astrocytes per each per each 10 neurons. I think that's an average calculation. On yeah, average. In mouse, it was one to 20 neurons per astrocyte, right, you said? Per, yeah, or two to, one to 20 or two to, uh, it's, it's in that Isn't that range for humans as well, Yeah, I think. probably. So that would be, let's, let's say. You know, but what I meant is that there was, for many years, the notion that astrocytes were 10 times more abundant mm -hmm, than neurons. Certainly. And first, this is not true. And I don't think the numbers are so relevant in the sense that, that the fact that you have more of something makes that something more relevant, perhaps and perhaps not necessarily. Mm -hmm. I think it's the function that is more relevant. You may have uh, something that is just uh, pricing in very low amounts, but it's for some reason incredibly important for the function of mm -hmm. the brain. Okay. So numbers are interesting, but I don't think that it's so relevant and definitely Astrocytes not, are not 10 times more abundant in the brain than... But of the non-neuronal cells, how abundant are the astrocytes compared to, to the other non-neuronal cells? I don't cells? have the numbers. Okay. Arculano has them. But, but just in your imagination, astrocytes are a relatively small subpopulation of cells making up the brain? Or, so they're not that dominant, if I... No. Right? So, and then is, if you look at the non-neuronal cell types, is there anything special about their distribution in the nervous system if we go for more primitive parts of the brain, like the brainstem and the spinal cord, to more frontal areas? Do you see any kind of differentiation 
across his non-neuronal cell types. I don't think that this has been analyzed. We spoke about tiling, and I think tiling is a feature of astrocytes that neurons don't have, and perhaps there is more tiling the more frontal we go. Mm -hmm. So the, in the, the more developed the area, the more tiling, more regular if you want, more regularly mm -hmm. and perhaps tighter. Mm -hmm. So the tiling function, whatever it is, is more developed. That's okay. perhaps the case. But on that, mm -hmm. those kind of analysis haven't been performed. And, and from an evolutionary perspective, if we go to say primitive vertebrates, uh, let's say lamprey or or fish, or we go to invertebrates, do we see any kind of of patterning? of the non-neuronal cell types? I'm not sure about that. I know the difference between mice and humans, that astrocytes are more complicated structurally mm -hmm. in humans than in astrocytes, and there are more subtypes. Okay. And I, I, I don't know exactly, but I think in invertebrates, yeah, there are astrocytes, mm -hmm. and but I'm not sure about their localization mm -hmm. or whether they are but it also means people might not have really looked at that. No. Okay. So no. That, that's interesting, right? Because w one thing that that, that you also made clear in your talk is that the whole idea already of the morphology of exercise has changed a lot, right? Because initially, because of the just the immunocytochemistry yeah. available, because we have better techniques now to right. the astrocytes, yeah. Initially, they looked like very sort of punctuated star-like star-like cells, and small cells with long processes. Yeah. And, and and they're not. They're like balls with yeah. a lot of hairs. That's exactly. the way they are. Right. And that's probably indicative of their function. Mm -hmm. And the way right. they, yeah, absolutely. So, so, and that's also some of your own work and th that you showed. So, uh, to get to the tiling, so it looks like we have these, these, these bushy uh, astrocytes that are forming sort of a tessellated pattern um, throughout the brain which is structured in a three-dimensional way. So do you also think this tiling is highly structured in three dimensions? Oh, absolutely. Like bricks, like, like absolutely. bricks, like we should hear the, the boxes? Absolutely, like it's like a Boronoi tessellation. Uh-huh. Absolutely, it is, I know. We have published a paper actually where the uh, tiling of astrocytes, really, it's really well modeled mm -hmm. when you do Boronoi tessellation of the brain. So you take the brain and you just do this kind of uh, uh, tessellation from, you just have seeds there and, and then you establish the distance, the distances between the seeds and you draw walls there and that way you divide the, the brain like a given volume in different Voronoi volumes and it is identical to the tessellation, to, mm -hmm. the, to the natural tessellation of astrocytes indicating that they, they, I think this is indicative of the way they grow so probably when they grow either from radial glia from clonal, clonal expansion from local astrocytes they sort of grow until they find another astrocyte and that's actually how Voronoi's tessellation occur and mm -hmm. develop but that's for the neocortex mainly it, no yeah that's probably the neocortex and probably the rest of the brain is like that but with more mistakes, mm -hmm. with lower quality, perhaps. So my idea that's in the in the neocortex, the signaling that that determines the tiling, 
the signaling that I think are repulsive pathways like heparins yeah. uh, or sem or semaphorines. Mm -hmm. Probably it's more developed and well, it works better. But in the rest of the brain, that occurs, but perhaps in a more primitive fashion, more mm -hmm. taking a picture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in a more primitive fashion, but so, so probably the same elements all over the brain, but with different quality. Okay, but so, and then the okay, so the the astrocytes, they have this really dense projective field of processes, right. which is you said about fifty micron across. The, the whole, the whole size, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the, the ball is the, mm -hmm. the diameter, yes, up to fifty microns. Okay. The whole ball mm -hmm. from thirty-five to fifty. But yeah, around fifty is a good number. So would that? Would it be uh, compatible to something like a cortical column? Um, I think I think columns are aren't they larger? I'm not sure about this. Yeah, and they're wider. I think they're wider yeah. mm -hmm. than that. But do you see it aligned with, let's say, I think the structures that that neurons? No, there are. There is one paper where they do fate analysis, so they label the astrocytes. And they see in the adults where they are in with radial glia, and they do see columns, but they are not all over the place. So it's not that columns have astrocytes associated to that column, all the columns. The notion is that some of the columns have astrocytes, indicating that the origin of astrocytes is mixed. Some of them come from the radial clear that gives rise to the column and some of them comes from elsewhere mm -hmm. and that creates a complex pattern and the astrocytes would only be in the gray matter of the nervous system no there are also white matter astrocytes absolutely they're different as well but yes they are and they have a different morphology and different molecular phenotype too mm -hmm. but it's essentially just a continuous matrix if you want yeah of yes. of astrocytes yes so if is. i take a brain if I could visualize all the exercise in that brain, it would be just the whole volume would be covered with equal, sort of very regularly spaced yeah, yes. uh, Probably uh, exercises. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. With the different densities, different morphologies, depending on the area, but yeah. Absolutely. But it would be a continuous. Yeah, that, that's a nice experiment to do with a clear brain technique. Exactly. Absolutely, mm -hmm. Barry, you were thinking about that. Yeah, that's a good experiment. But that would be the prediction. To stain, right? to stain mm -hmm. astrocytes exclusively, and yeah, you will, we will see uh, Different tiling of astrocytes all over the brain. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. That would be a nice, so a nice picture to have. Would that structure then? So the, what's the density then? If you take just a bit of brain, a cubic millimeter, right? In your mind, then these these bushy astrocytes would really fill up that whole volume, and mm -hmm. then the neurons and and. Uh, the blood vessels and other are sort of squeezed inside that matrix, or everything is a, everything is a squeezed mm -hmm. there, yeah. and then probably the arrangement of all the cell types is highly coordinated mm -hmm. and regulating, and vessels probably play a big role too. Right. So everything the vessels grow, mm -hmm. and everything adapts to the left to the rest of the space and and creates their own circuits there. Mm -hmm. But then couldn't you say? You couldn't just speculate 
that these astrocytes are there to give some sort of uniform mechanical support That's interesting to the rest idea. of the system, right? That, that, could, be, that could be it. So I, I think that uh, when astrocytes were described as a glue, initially named glia, glia, glue is not a bad term for astrocytes, actually, in the sense that they're all over the place. The difference is that glue implies it's a passive support, and this is possible. Perhaps there is some, as you say, structural support for the rest of the structures. Mm -hmm. But I do think myself that that structure is also actively exchanging information with the rest of the cell. So it's, it's not just a passive thing there that you may have break or, or real glue. Mm -hmm. It's an active glue. So whether it has also supportive elements and guiding elements to certain structures, it is possible. Yeah, because would you would you know of any other cell type, non-neuronal or neuronal, that would have this feature of such a uniform distribution locally and globally, right? That really I think really my microglia, microglia too. Microglia okay. is all over the place, exactly. And uh, also like a three-dimensional matrix. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and NG two cells which I find fascinant, mm -hmm. and we don't know much about them, but they are all over the place, they're highly abundant, mm -hmm. and they're also, they're, they have a tile, microglia and NG2, they are also tiled. Mm -hmm. They also, they are territorial. It's these neurons that are not territorial, but yes, they right. are, and, and then if you could stain them, you actually see them beautifully arranged, regularly arranged, mm -hmm. all over the brain. Right. Absolutely. So, in some sense, you want to have a very strongly symmetric structure, to distribute all mechanical forces so that you can allow neurons to be, let's say, asymmetric in how they That's develop their processes. That's an interesting no? idea. Uh-huh. Okay. You, so you, now think, you, you think like an engineer. Uh, I don't know. Do I? That's an engineer <laughs> thought, but why not? Um, well, why not? So, but, so I, I think myself about, for me, tie, the tiling, it's about information processing. So some well, that's an the next question, right? For me, for me, that's the idea. So the, the they just they, they segregate information processing in a set of neurons. Either they synchronize that activity, or they provide energy for a given set of neurons. So that's for me, that's the notion. Mm -hmm. It is related to information processing, like in a circuit. It's a mini circuit, and I have no idea what they do there. But tiling is more associated to synchronization of activities in a given module in mm -hmm. the brain. Okay, so but uh, so let's then look now at, at, at function, right? So um, so here we have the these astrocytes, um, equally uh, tessellated. Um, we don't know what they do, and it's actually uh, a, a significant chunk of the of the cell volume the brain. That's right? correct. So you spoke of the, the dark matter of, of the brain. And now we can start to, to speculate about what they do because actually we don't know much about that. No? So why has it taken us so long to even start to worry about what they might do functionally? Why? No, we, we I, that's a great question. I, I realize and, and actually this is sort of a recent understanding about things. Research develops very, very slowly, incredibly slowly, which is for the, for the people that are not very patient, that includes me, that's very striking. So it takes us 
years to find something relevant and sometimes the techniques are a limitation or an advance. So in the case of astrocytes, we spoke about this this morning, the reason why we know so much about calcium and astrocytes because we have calcium imaging. And that was fantastic. And since we don't have imaging or another readout for another phenomenon that may be even more relevant, then we cannot talk about that phenomenon. So sometimes techniques determine concepts, so we have to be very aware of that. So as to why it has taken so long, I think a big problem is, in addition to science being slow uh, in nature, that the neuronal people haven't been interested in non-neuronal cells. Mm -hmm. Even if we look at the number of references, I have a student, my student Abel, that just defended his thesis. He had a picture about the number of citations, so the number of articles related to astrocyte, the number of articles related to glia, there per year. So we have like 20,000 articles for, for neurons versus, I don't remember, 2,000 articles for astrocytes. Mm -hmm. So then that explains a lot. So the number of people working on neurons is larger than our people working on astrocytes. That determines also how fast discoveries goes. And the second thing is that neuronal people are not interested in astrocytes. Mm -hmm. That's it. And then many of the and, and neurons, the, the advance in neurons is earlier because the action potentials were discovered in the 50s. Advancement in astrocytes started to happen in, in, the, in the 90s mm -hmm. when we discovered calcium imaging for astrocytes. So we have been studying neurons for for 50 years already, by the time we start to realize astrocytes do something else other than being a glue. So that can explain a lot of things. The techniques are different. But I think a big problem is that neuronal people are not interested in, in, in non-neuronal cells. But conversely, you could also say that astrocyte people don't care too much about the neuron. Yeah, exactly. Either, right? But, but that, that, the impact of that in the neuronal field is minimal. Mm -hmm. I think the impact of all these people working on neurons, uh, not caring about astrocytes mm. is much larger. Yeah, but I think that's a very common um, impression people have, that whatever they do is not considered relevant yeah. by their colleagues. No, I think right, it's, true. It's, I think it's just a sign of general fragmentation. Well, in but, but in our case, we, right? we have numbers. So systems neuroscience concerns mostly neurons. Mm -hmm. So if you, in the big meetings that are um, specialized in system neurosciences, we calculated that only 1% of presentations are dedicated to non-neuronal cells. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but maybe the problem here is that uh, right now there's not a clear proposition what exercise could contribute functionally exactly. to neural systems, exactly. right? And I think this is the big challenge. And big challenge. In some sense, if you say 2,000 pa papers a year on astrocytes, then you can also wonder, okay, what the hell are these papers about, right. given that our overall understanding is still so limited. So the question is how astrocytes contribute to higher brain function. That should be that, our challenge. That, right. That's our challenge. Yeah. Beyond clearing potassium, which is very important, or beyond providing uh, fuel to neurons, which is very important too, but it did to something else that is relevant to higher brain functions. And if we didn't have astrocytes, we wouldn't have those functions. Mm -hmm. no, so, the, uh, so let's take a look. What, what do we know about the interaction between astrocytes and neurons? What are the outstanding features that astrocytes we, have 
that might be relevant if you are a neuron? The, let's go for the data. So the data shows that you do you manipulate astrocytes and you change the response of neurons. So before any further interpretation of why astrocytes are necessary for neurons. So in local circuits or in networks, doing things to astrocytes, manipulating their responses, changes the circuit readout, changes the network readout. That's a fact. That's the, that's the evidence, the experimental evidence. Now, yeah, then I could say, look, if I just occlude the blood vessel, also something happens to neurons, but it's not necessarily no, informative it's not, about no, functioning. No, but it, right? one, one thing is that it's different if, if neurons suffer because they lack like basic support like oxygen and another thing is that the neurons don't um, have action potentials or they have reduced action potentials because astrocytes are releasing different amount of biotransmitters so then the, the signaling that is involved there is is very different yeah but for instance what, what i was looking for uh, as you also discussed there's direct exchange of, of key ions that, that neurons need to be active, to change their, 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 their membrane potentials, to, to generate action, but like there's sodium exchange, you have potassium exchange, um, uh, there's a calcium exchange between uh, neurons and astrocytes, right? So apparently th these ions are, are exchanging um, so what are astrocytes doing with it? What, what is our astrocytes doing with potassium? Are they buffering it? Are they, they diffusing it. it? Are they? They buffer it. Yes, the, they bring it out of the extracellular space to the blood. That's the standard knowledge. They do have a lot of potassium channels, and in diseases, it's well known that it's a, it's a good therapeutic target in the mm -hmm. sense that they get dysregulated, meaning that probably they. If they don't buffer potassium correctly, that contributes to, to disease and to so normal activity. So the interpretation goes again into a more homeostatic direction, like, okay, it's sort of just removing the potassium from extracellular space. Right. But another interpretation, it's like basic computation. So the, the fact that filter, we spoke about it, filtering, so they may... So if there is a circuit, imagine there is a circuit and neurons are part of the circuit and astrocytes are part of the circuit as another element. So maybe doing things to that circuit. Yeah, so I'm trying to figure out like what that Maybe getting, it's like changing gain, mm -hmm. changing uh, the... Uh, the could they release potassium again in the extracellular space? They could release potassium, they could release glutamate that goes mm -hmm. back, it's like a third neuron that goes back to the neuron and, and changes the, okay. the way the neuron responds to the next stimuli. So that means that, that the, the astrocyte essentially can control whether a neuron will respond at all to the next stimulus. It will modulate. So I think it's but better in extreme case, it could actually it could prevent control. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And well, anything could change. So it can, it, it, there are in, in the studies of in the local circuits, so it is known that depending on on the input, so the, the inhibitor neurons, for instance, depending on the kind of response they have, they produce different responses in astrocytes that in turn relay 
different outputs to excitatory neurons. That's well known. And that and that's that's pretty delicate. So it's not just homeostasis. It is it is pretty balanced uh, reading of the neuronal activity and routing it to the other neuron in the in the circuit. Mm -hmm. So that, that for me this is beyond homeostasis. Mm -hmm. This is like, the astrocytes acting like another neuron. Right. And they can act they they can make change actually the 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 output the global output of a given circuit can be changed by astrocytes. Mm -hmm. But now in a, in a precise manner, beyond exactly. not beyond like vascular um, cells delivering oxygen to neurons, but they they can change that. For you, that doesn't mean that astrocytes may contribute to higher brain functions beyond no just their their metabolic roles. No, look, I think it would be great if astrocytes would help out. Um, so I have no objections against that. So it's more about looking what what they can really do and about spatial temporal scale that could play out. That, so that's such a question. If we talk about the potassium uh, dynamics, this could play out at let's say millisecond level, the buffering and release of potassium, or do you see this as a slow process? I think it's I think it's more a slow process, but I have to look into it. And glutamate. Glutamate the glutamate uptake. I think it goes in in the millisecond scale. Mm -hmm. Glutamate release, it's, it's in the second scale. So when the astrocytes respond to neurons by releasing glutamate, that takes seconds. Mm -hmm. Well, but in hundreds of milliseconds and then in the tens of seconds. And this release is a non-specific in extracellular space or is it very well, targeted it's, it's to sort specific of paracrine. Let's, let's say paracrine, mm -hmm. which is not a bad term because there are neurons like the neuroadrenergic neurons that work in a paracrine manner in volume transmission. So and sometimes relevant things happen globally, not just mm -hmm. locally. And probably local control is different from global control. Sure. And both have different roles. So you're the saying there's no evidence that that uh, astrocytes would have the specificity to have a very highly highly temporally precise and mm. locally specific effect. No, it's, it's more, more global. It's, it's more akin to volume transmission, okay. I think. Mm -hmm. I think they I, I see astrocytes I think the anatomy, the way they relate to neurons, their time scale supports global roles mm -hmm. more than very local roles. Mm -hmm. So the point is to look what kind of global roles synchronization of different neurons at the same time are relevant for astrocytes so, so to control. Now we talk about different neurotransmitters and for some potassium, are these only ionotropic receptors that the astrocytes have or do you all see metabotropic receptors where for instance you look at strain? Oh, they have the metabotropic receptors for glutamate for instance. Mm -hmm. That's that are typically uh, present in astrocytes. Yeah. Doesn't it make you suspicious that there is actually a real functional role for this? Because that would mean that, that you really actively, in a very specific way, are regulating processes in the astrocytes depending on the presence of, of glutamate. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. absolutely. So this would be also a little bit beyond just buffering, no? No, absolutely not. Yes, even, even transport of glutamate signals mm -hmm. to some functions, even just the mere transport. So what kind of uh, reactions do you see in astrocytes to glutamate? You can may have changes, for instance, in the 
physical changes in the way the astrocytes wrap neurons. So the same way that, that spines change their morphology in order to get closer to another spine, to retract, that has been described also in astrocytes in those distal processes in relationship with neurons, and this is regulated by glutamate and calcium. So you would argue that the glutamate then also regulates if you want the formation of these for instance of synaptic structures that would then pre post synaptic neural exactly uh, and processes then plus your astrocyte yes and an area of astrocytes that i'm very interested in and it hasn't been explored are long-term changes so we know that astrocytes modulate memory because when we manipulate astrocytes with chemogenetics or transgenic tools at different stages now has been done with chemogenetics at different stages in the in the memory paradigm from acquisition consolidation replay so that exactly where they're acting is is getting characterized but we don't know exactly what are the long-term changes in astrocyte the same way that you don't have long-term potentials ltp mm -hmm which causes changes in the molecular makeup of the neurons, that hasn't been characterized in astrocytes. No. And I, I do think this is an area that I'm interested, mm -hmm. very interested, because I think that can be very fruitful mm -hmm. to it's understand. Right? Because for instance, there's this whole problem in, at the neuron side, if I build a synapse, how do I stabilize my synapse? And there's the idea that this also has to do with intracellular processes that depend on other molecules. Like chemokinase too, yeah, as an example, yeah, yeah. right? The John Lisman hypothesis. But that would suggest that you need similar kind of memory processes at the level of the astrocyte if they form part of that synapse, right? Yes. So, so is there anything known about these kind of intercellular signaling mm -hmm. uh, pathways in astrocytes? No, not at all. Okay. That's so a totally infant mm -hmm. area of study. So you still so wonder what these two thousand papers a year are all about, right? Yes. But then the other, the other possible control that exercise have is capillaries. Absolutely. Right? They, they control, Absolutely. they can directly control blood flow and yeah, exchange, do. right? They also do. the blood-brain barrier. So how do you think that can be, or is used, and on what time scale is it used by exercise? I think, uh, well, that's what the data shows in, in the time of milliseconds. Mm -hmm. In absolutely that happens. So when a, a neuron in somatosensory stimulations, a neuron uh, uh, in, in mice, the whiskers touch, the neuron detects that you, you has action potentials and calcium activation. Then seconds later, milliseconds later, hundreds of milliseconds, astrocytes see it and they transfuse that to the vessels. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a fact. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting when we talk about this this morning that it could do this earlier mm -hmm. before the task happens because there is a prediction that right. it's going to happen and mm -hmm. so it prepares the territory for a better response mm -hmm. later on. But yeah, absolutely. The but relationship of gastrocytes and vessels, it's for me, is very important. It's very, very clear. And I think astrocytes multiplex so they can talk. And, and, and structurally, they, they are different because, you know, these, the distal processes mm -hmm. are one thing, and the and the amphid is another morphological structure that is, that is different, 
and wraps the vessels and, and, and it doesn't have the bulbous mm, very tense network and this lattice in the distal process it's just like a yeah it's like a like a sheet totally that wraps wraps the vessels mm -hmm. so the astrocytes have the multiplex they they they're able to multitask and one task is regulating the right. connection between vessels and, and the rest of the brain. But Absolutely. are they, what's the, the delay? So when we have neural activity, um, with what delay do the astrocytes start to then change a blood vessel response and with what specificity? Um, hundreds of milliseconds. And, hundreds of milliseconds. Okay. And that's a long lasting? How long does the, the, this, this? I would say seconds. I'm not sure about that, but mm -hmm. seconds. Okay, and then the, I, I would assume that this is not, if, if you have one spike, I don't think the astrocyte will start to change the, the dilation of the, the capillary. Oh, that so, you need so the threshold? threshold. I probably, I don't know about it, but probably. Mm -hmm. So would you see then the, the astrocyte looking at some average neural response? And oh, given this average, it would control the capillary? Uh, that's, that's, no, the that's a great question. I think it's not. Okay. Whether that response to, because usually the experiments are more one-to-one, -one, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think that that's been analyzed, mm -hmm. whether you need the minimum of neurons to be stimulated right. in order to produce. Mm -hmm. Now, one reason I'm asking is, of course, a lot of the work on, on magnetic resonance imaging uh, and how you can use that to assess a function in the brain is by looking at this bolt signal that's derived from blood flow, right? right? And then there's a belief that this is related to neural activity. But now we see that this is actually mediated by astrocytes. Well, it could be mediated by astrocytes, since the astrocytes consume oxygen, that's the point. Mm -hmm. But not all the time. So it's not that thing. Well, bolt signaling is actually very complicated because what it really shows that is there is hemodynamic response. So it is an increase in blood flow. But actually, oxygen consumption doesn't increase. It's the paradox of Bolt mm -hmm. that was described several years ago. So meaning that oxygen consumption doesn't change very much. What changes is that there is more blood flow. And as a result, the rate of hemoglobin that is oxidized versus the hemoglobin that is not oxidized changes. This is what you're looking. You're looking at increasing flow. You're not looking at increasing in oxygen consumption. Mm -hmm. it's, bold is really difficult to interpret. Mm -hmm. But in general, it has been used as a surrogate for neuronal activation. Mm -hmm. And this is what I think is wrong. Mm -hmm. Not totally wrong. It's, it's just neurons can contribute to the signal too. Not all the time. Mm -hmm. So my point is that we need to, we need to get into the details. We need to, I think the paradigm is very relevant because the notion that the task dependent activity is the model of brain activity is wrong. Mm -hmm. So we need to look into different models, including that one of high uh, glutamatergic activation, mm -hmm. but also brain intrinsic brain activity. I'm sure that the both signaling intrinsic brain activity is very different. Gustavo Deco works on that. Mm -hmm from task-dependent activity, changes during the day, changes in different nuclei. So we need to get out of average measurements and very specific models that we think are the models of all the brain activity because the devil's in the details here. Right, exactly. And, I, and I'm sure that in, in, 
in very specific circuits and in very specific moments, astrocytes consume a lot of oxygen. Through you know, there, so there, there are some papers in literature where people look at this relationship between neuroactivity, astrocyte response, and blood flow um, that are mainly done with optogenetics, and they're, they're being questioned whether they actually tell us uh, whether they're informative. On the other hand, you can also understand people question it because for many neuroscientists, there's a lot at stake to just believe in the dogma that you know the bold signal reflects neural activity. Right. So, but what is the truth of the matter in your view? Is it like the neural contribution will be like a tiny fraction of the bold signal, let's say ten percent, or it will strongly vary on conditions? The sort of because this high variability, it's uninterpretable. Uh, so where do you? Where I think do that you the yourself? right measurements need to be done. I wouldn't be able to calculate, and this is like the traditional biophysics and mm -hmm. and the brain physiology. So we need to really calculate that. But you could also use. The but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't dare to say that astrocytes use more oxygen than neurons or vice versa. So there is it is clear that action potentials are very demanding of energy. That's absolutely very clear. The needs, energetic needs of astrocytes are not known, for instance. Mm -hmm. we, we don't know. There are pathways and there are uh, phenomena in astrocytes that require ATP, very many exocytosis, calcium removal. So there are many pumps in the astrocytes. Perhaps we can say that they don't use so much as much as ATP as neurons, but I wouldn't dare to estimate unless I, I do the calculations. So the energy requirements of the astrocytes are not known at all. Is it measurable for you? Uh, you? I think they could be measurable. Yeah, I think we just, it's just like they have been measured in neurons. Mm -hmm. So why not? Okay. And the thing that we know now is that at least they are able to produce ATP through fatty acid oxidation mm -hmm. that we think they do, which is very, it's very efficient, it produces a lot of ATP. But we think that if they don't produce, a, they don't have fatty oxidation all the time, they, we think they're versatile. That the beauty of astrocytes, if I can introduce this word, beauty, in, in a scientific no talk, is that they're versatile. Mm -hmm. So they use whatever they have, and they have glycolysis. And probably because the ATP produced by glycolysis is, is, is necessary for certain uh, pathways that are locally by the membrane and related to the release of glutamate or to uptake of glutamate. But uh, they, they do generate a lot of ATP through fatty acid oxidation at some points in their life. I'm not sure when because we haven't carried out experiments in vivo, but I'm sure they do. Mm -hmm. And in certain moments, but I, I don't, I wouldn't dare to say whether that accounts for what percentage but you're of brain oxygen. Astrocytes can operate in an energetically uh, efficient regime, but they can also be energetically inefficient. It can be both. You say at some point in their life. At least that they can use only glycolysis, mm -hmm. and what happens there is they don't die. But one thing is not to die, and another thing is to be doing well. To be useful. To be performing mm -hmm. right. One thing is right. survival, and another thing is mm -hmm. the right performance. No, it's interesting because it again would argue against this homeostasis interpretation, because if it was homeostasis, 
you would expect that substrate to be very energetically efficient because otherwise how can you be usefully contributing to maintaining homeostasis of your neurons if you burn a lot of energy yourself That's actually and correct. produced waste products and so on. Right? I think, yeah, I think we, we need to understand the energy metabolism and astrocytes, not just when they use, what pathway, in what moment. Also, I think this notion that ATP is not stored perhaps is not true. So the reason that it's very labile, you produce ATP and then either you don't use it, you, it's gone. So perhaps that's just a story TP too. So that allows them to resort to, like Carlos says, when neurons need a lot of oxygen, then the, within the oxygen goes to neurons, not mm -hmm. to astrocytes. Right. But the astrocytes are still there doing mm -hmm. something. So perhaps they can use ATP from other sources. Mm -hmm. So there are questions there that need to be answered. Right. And I, I do believe that energy is very, very important. Mm -hmm. And that many, of the anatomical designs in nature are determined by energy usage and energy mm -hmm. usage optimization. Right. So that could be probably a very fruitful area of research mm -hmm. to try to understand how astrocyte, the, the interplay of energy metabolism between astrocytes and neurons, mm -hmm. how much oxygen right. each one uses. Mm -hmm. and so is there any evidence that astrocytes can really, let's say, turn circuits on and off, and that it also happens under realistic conditions? I, I would, well, in experimentally, I have to, to find the papers, I would say yes. Mm -hmm. I think probably if you ask this question to Alfonso Araque, who leaders in the field, yeah, I think they can actually mm -hmm. so turn. So that means a sort of energy yeah. management. This well, is, ener yeah, ener right? because of the energy, but also because they stop releasing a given gliotransmitter than neurons need. Yes, I think they can, yeah, mm -hmm. yes. Right, okay. So Not so just because of the energy, or because of the signaling. Too. Right. Yeah. And, but now the other thing that, that I always find very exciting about astrocytes, also because I'm, I'm ignorant, are the gap junctions, right? So they have gap junctions uh, that allows uh, potassium to just permeate Cross membranes between astrocytes, and that would, in theory, set up possibilities for for more rapid signal transduction than what you would get if you have action potentials going over axons. Would you agree with that? I'm not sure about that because the unit is not so the potassium that goes that is diffused out of the astrocytes would that reach enough concentration to change the neuronal activity in other neurons no, 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 farther no, away? No, no, let's just worry about the network of astrocytes and they're coupled with these gap junctions, right? Right, so but, but then to, in order to have an effect on neurons, you need to have really reached certain levels of exactly. potassium. Mm -hmm. So I tend to think about diffusion as not being very controlled, it's just passive, they are mm -hmm. removed. So it, I'm not it depends on the gradients, right? But right, exactly. But that, that has to be modeled. So the answer could be... Yeah, but look, if, if neurons are very active, they are uh, transiently buffering a lot of potassium, right? So uh, that could possibly set up these kinds of gradients. No, because then you would have... So, so then, so then the potassium in the, in the astrocyte network would be rapidly attracted to these areas right. where there is activity. But a gradient for me is a process that is regulated in a fine manner and this is 
incompatible for me with diffusion. Is, isn't that incompatible? So I tend to think that diffusion well, is just together, no? yeah. So it but that that could be modeled. I think that idea could be put into into a model Absolutely. and tested different mm -hmm. levels of potassium production and potassium removal by astrocytes, and to see that creates gradients. Yeah. And those gradients change neural activity. Mm -hmm. Yes. Maybe they, but you mentioned about the the priming of neural activity. Maybe this is created by gradients of potassium around a given circuit mm -hmm. that makes the neurons respond more or less or beyond a threshold or not reaching mm -hmm. the threshold. So right. maybe that's, but that, that, that can be modeled. Um, yeah, because what you would have, let's say you have neurons that become very active, so they, they start to buffer a lot of potassium uh, rapidly. This might then deprive their neighbors from also becoming active because there's no potassium around. And then the astrocytes allow potassium to flow in from other parts of the network that are, let's say, so in some sense it also would give you a comp competitive system because if, if I have different islands of activity, they via the, the astrocytes can start to compete over the potassium. I see. Right? And and this could play out very quickly if these if the if the gradients are, are big enough. So would you buy this kind of fantasy scenario or you think this is really completely uh, I, I I I would like to see the models. Okay. I would like to see the models mm -hmm. that support that kind of scenario. Okay. Because the same thing might also be then going on with your with your sodium. Right? Exactly. So, but the sodium doesn't diffuse over the gap junctions, right? That stays local in the astrocyte. Right, it's taken out astrocytes. It's true that it's taken out in astrocytes, yes. So it's only the potassium that could do this. Yes. So the other thing I was thinking about that, that is exciting about these potassium networks uh, or in the communication channels across the, the astrocyte network is it might give you a channel to start to prime different areas of the brain, right? So you, you mentioned this also earlier where you say, well, we expect a vision, and there are experiments that also have shown already that you have anticipatory changes in the bolt signal that do not correlate to neural activity. And this would suggest that this is driven by the astrocytes. But then the question, how can the astrocytes know, right? So there must be some communication channel that, that says, look, we're gonna, we expect a visual stimulus, so increased blood flow, whatever. Well, because the, but this is an also the prediction brain, mm -hmm. that the brain is, has already the information about the outer world and is renewing that information all the time. Mm -hmm. And whenever new information comes in, they just reset. Well, then, no. And the perhaps astrocytes are already in that circuit, meaning that they are actively processing information all the time. So premonition is part of the system that is replaying the information all the time. Don't well, you agree with that? Well, I was more thinking about that you just have, let's say, a conditional event that you're conditioned. When you hear a sound, there will be visual stimulus uh, five seconds later. Uh, so I hear the sound, and now in anticipatory response to this association, oh. I start to prime my visual area through the astrocytes to say, okay, we're going to get a visual stimulus, wake up. So you can sort of put put areas in idle mode, like lo low energy yes. consumption, sure. and then reactivate sure. them from that, but just yes. through the astrocyte network. It could be, yeah. Would you, is there any data that would no. support that idea? No. 
accept these anticipatory bolt response in the visual exactly. cortex, right? Was that uh, Crutchfeld or? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So now, okay. So that so, so it would be the one of the reasons for tiling. So that creates different islands of energy, energy mm -hmm. usage or right. potassium gradients mm -hmm. along the brain. Yeah, could be. Could I, if I'm an astrocyte network, could I control the diffusion of the potassium? Can I open and close my gap junctions? Are they actively controlled or are they just passive? Nothing, they're passive. Okay. Yes. Now you also, so now, so now we, we made a little index of different possible functions of of the astrocytes and you also mentioned this lymphatic system so and that of course pushes us a little bit more in the direction of homeostasis absolutely that's homeostasis right. clearly so so why why was this lymphatic system relevant in this discussion why do you think this is uh, an important insight in, in terms of what astrocytes could be doing well because it's it's i think a very important issue as to how the brain removes waste mm -hmm. and uh, this is highly highly relevant for normal function it is highly relevant for diseases so i think it is worth mentioning and it's a very recent discovery so it's worth mentioning and moreover it is probably regulated by in the, the brain itself mm -hmm. so it's not really clear at this point but the locus ceruleus and other some of these nuclei that are globally broadcast, broadcasting to the to the throughout the brain, probably regulate that too. Mm -hmm. and, they, and there are there are studies showing that this can regulate also. You spoke about gradients of potassium determining uh, circuit activation. Mm -hmm. there, there are studies showing that other studies showing that they this this fluxes inside the brain control the glucose availability the availability of nutrients so they're they're not trivial they're not just things that are there they're very relevant to brain physiology so the astrocytes are sort of regulating blood-brain barrier this sets up a convective flow of what a of liquid of um in it's liquid that moves from the artery side to the venous side. Mm -hmm. It's just intracellular space. But what's the liquid? What does it? It's convection? a solids, salts probably. So mm -hmm. It's convection. It's pure convection, and it's probably water. So it's, it's really like you're washing out the brain. You're washing out the brain. Absolutely. Where does it flow towards? Is it? Where it flows it, to the venous side, and eventually goes to, to the lymphatic system. Uh huh. Okay. So it's really like... It's washing the... Yeah, it's washing yeah. it. It's, it's actually beautiful physiology. I'm very fond of myself, in addition to computation, to brain physiology studies. Mm -hmm. uh, there are... And, and these studies are actually very elegant because it's actually very simple. Technically, they use fluorescent tracers mm -hmm. and they just put them one side and see whether they can find them. And right. then they find their way out of the brain mm -hmm. and they can track the pathway. Mm -hmm. So they absolutely, then there is water, the, the brain is cleaned mm -hmm. every day. With mm -hmm. uh, uh, a lot of things get out and that is mediated by the astrocyte in the sense that they are a wall. At least right. they're a wall that the, those things have to cross. Mm -hmm. And that wall probably is also selectively 
privilege in the passage. Mm -hmm. And when that world, world is not working well, then that passage doesn't occur. But that would and that changes also during day and night. It does, I, think, I find it fascinating, the finding that this clearance works only at night is fantastic, meaning that the intracellular volume of the brain changes mm -hmm. during the day and during the night. Right. So, so I'm sure if the astrocytes shrink or something, and mm -hmm. that changes the convection towards the venous side of the mm -hmm. of the brain. What so distances are covered in that way, you think? Oh, I'm not sure. So, what's the that. density of this venous? This venous. Network? I'm, not, I'm not sure, but okay. probably, probably that answer can be found mm -hmm. in the literature. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's fantastic. It's, it's but it also means that there must be different chambers along the artery, no? Because you must accumulate this this fluid that's being released. It must be extracted from the blood, stored, and then released. Well, it comes. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it comes from the CSF. So the CSF is in contact with that liquid. Mm -hmm. But that's all facility is well known. It comes from the CSF. The CSF is circulating all the time mm -hmm. and it's in contact with the intracellular space. Yeah. Probably they have different contents, mm -hmm. but they, there is okay. a flow. There is a flow from the uh, part in between the arteries and the astrocytes exactly. that goes in a different direction from the blood. This is interesting also. So the blood goes in one direction and that flow goes in the opposite direction. Right. And eventually, because of these convection forces, crosses the brain came up to the venocide. But the astrocytes must be controlling both walls. That, yeah, they do, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, so yeah. they must be controlling the artery yeah, wall. Absolutely. Right? And, and then this um, CSF yes. Uh, chamber. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yes. But so, do you know when in sleep does happen? Is it like in which sleep stage does this happen? Do we know that? I'm, I'm not sure it did. Okay. I'm sure they have looked at it, but mm. but I don't have the data. But as it, it occurs, in, it is, is, the paper has very beautiful pictures and it's very dramatic. Mm -hmm. the, the way that those fluorescent tracers go through the brain at night, but they don't go through the brain during the day mm -hmm. in mice. It's, it's, it's really, really dramatic, the change. Right. But so now at the, at the more behavioral level, you, you highlighted a number of, of correlations we are aware of uh, with respect to exercise activity and, and behavior, like in sensor processing, uh, state switching, and fear response regulation. Right? Um, so do you, which of these results for you are most informative about the possible functional role of exercise? Our brain states, I think network, yeah. I think network activity regulation oh, so because of this global notion mm -hmm. i think the the findings in the local circus are just a part of a larger role mm -hmm. so they find them because they look but i think the astrocytes are more important in in the regulation of networks so it, they are more relevant to these brain state transitions okay. that's that's my thing if i if i would study something i would i would okay. study the role of astrocytes in neuromodulation, so global global phenomena, mm -hmm. neuromodulation, brain state, okay. slow oscillations. That that mm -hmm. would be, for me, the. Uh, so in the brain state example, you have uh, you use optogenetics to stimulate. Um, the astrocytes, the astrocytes? Kira, post cancer in in, in 
Kira post-cancer, the paper. Yeah, right, well. exactly. But and Rafael Justin and right, Kira. exactly, which is stimulating in the, which area are we? Is it the somatosensory cortex or was it the barrel cortex? It's, yeah, I think it's the, somatosen it's the somatosensory cortex. Somatosensory. Yeah, it's the cortex. Okay. So, so we're measuring LFPs and what we then see is that um, after five seconds stimulation, you essentially see a, a peak at about 100, 100 seconds later of really low frequency, like below, what they say here, a half to two hertz, so we're really in delta range, right? right. Which is a, f a frequency range that under the control condition does not appear, right? So this here. This right, there's a, there's a yeah. change in the power so at the low frequency that is, is impressed and right. stimulated. Like there's that actually no power in the control condition exactly. and it jumps up in the, when you stimulate the astrocytes with optogenetics, right? Exactly. But now, isn't that a surprise? That's no surprise because if you if you drive the exercise for stimulate effort for that long, you might lead to let's say pathological change in the local. But volume. not quite pathological. I wouldn't say pathological. That it's not known. So I think that well, low delta would would, would correlate with really deep sleep or or deep anesthesia, right? So it also would mean these neurons are deprived of just any ion to do anything, that's, that's a good so thing. essentially shutting down. So this is like, uh, you've just shut down the neurons by, by depleting them of any resource. What would be the right control to use? Well, if what you want to see think? state change, you want to look at oscillatory frequencies that you know have a functional relevance, right? So so you want to look at, at um, frequencies that's either gamma or theta or alpha, but certainly above delta because delta would reflect deep sleep. So my question here is, can we really speak of a, a state that is functionally relevant? So you have to look at a, a power, a, a frequency range that you know has functional relevance. Right, um, this finding has been reproduced, actually it is an early study, by people have shown that if we remove the capacity of astrocytes to respond to the nucleus basalis, the nucleus basalis are minor, they also regulate brain state. Mm -hmm. And then this has to be measured with local field potentials. So it's very, very different. But, but that, the, the result is very similar. In this case, we're not stimulating, they are not stimulating astrocytes with optogenetics mm -hmm. because the optogenetics didn't exist. Right. I think we're talking about a study from um, 2000 something, I don't remember the, the year. But the result is similar in the sense that if the astrocytes don't have calcium responses, the nucleus basalis of minor doesn't regulate the uh, the brain state. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, okay, so but they the nucleus basalis minor would be the cholinergic projections. Right, but meaning talking about because you, so in that case we cannot talk about astrocytes stimulation depleting neurons from from things they need to, to, from shedding because they, it's, but actually there, they actually, it's just the opposite experiments. Astrocytes are not being stimulated. They just don't respond. Therefore, they cannot be depleting neurons from anything. And it's the same result in the sense that they regulate brain state. But now in this optogenetic experiment, what does it mean to activate an astrocyte? Because they're genetically manipulated to, to respond to light? Right? It's that's the key. What do they do? What, that's what, a key they, question. That's a how key are they coupled? To which receptors no, it's it coupled? No, it's not known. It's not. That's a key question. That's the finding. They express 
are corruption mm -hmm. there, they stimulate with light, and they see their calcium increases. But how it so happens... The calcium inside the astrocyte increases? The calcium transients inside the astrocyte mm -hmm. increase, and the only thing that they know is that their corruption hyperpolarizes cells, mm -hmm. and in neurons that triggers mm -hmm. the, the neurons are inhibited. In astrocytes, they are also voltage-dependent uh, channels, mm -hmm. but not as active as in neurons. Okay. So probably the astrocytes are detecting the hyperpolarization mm -hmm. somehow, and that triggers somehow an increase in, in calcium concentration in the cytosol, but it's not known how. First, first thing. Second thing, it happens mostly in the processes. Mm -hmm. So uh, the it's it's a very important thing whether the calcium is uh, increases are happening in processes mm -hmm. in the distal processes or in the primary process or in the soma because the mechanisms that regulate calcium release are very different different compartments mm -hmm. and. Long and interestingly enough, with our corrupting, they happen mostly in the processes, mm -hmm. indicating that those voltage-dependent channels are perhaps richer there, but it's not known. Mm -hmm. It's not known. And I think this is a limitation. It's very interesting because it's actually interesting to be able to ex stimulate astrocytes or neurons in a cell type in a time-specific manner. Uh, mm -hmm and not using transgenic mice that are... Right. That it's, a, it's a really elegant tool, mm -hmm. but the fact that we don't know exactly how it works, I think is a limitation. Right. Because so we don't know the physiological relevance of, of, of the response. Right. It so is a limitation. This is a bit problematic then, right? It because is. we do, we can speak of a state change, but we don't know whether we have induced some pathological state of the, the tissue. And that's true, I mean, uh, right? we don't know. It's also sort of not sufficiently controlled. It's, not so, it's probably need to refine the technique, understand mechanisms better, and, and find the same things okay. using other approaches. So we're still in the dark then about... We're in the dark. What, what it's it like does, <laughs> right? Um, but now, um, in your case, you're also interested in, in finding uh, well, there's one pro another problem we see here. Everything is so much tied to calcium imaging, right? In, it's, in it's, astrocytes uh, yeah. study. Too much, probably, yes. And this, of course, is also biasing very much uh, how we think about it because we think, oh, these guys are really slow, right? Right, exactly. But this might be due to the way we, we observe them. So, yeah, do, would you expect if, if we would have the magic imaging techniques? Uh, or measurement techniques to, to assess Some the kind dynamics of, of electrophysiologically like techniques. Right. Yeah. Do you expect them to be as fast as neurons in terms of time constants at work, or do you really? S would your prediction be that they will are a system that are slower than neurons? I would say they are slower. Okay. Perhaps they are faster than seconds. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can move now the time scale from hundreds of milliseconds to tens of milliseconds. Mm -hmm. But still, that's slower than neurons. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. I would say they're slower. Mm -hmm. and, and my point is that is that, a that we f have to find the, the moments where the brain needs that time scale. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to make astrocytes faster than they are. That's a mistake. Right. So the field has been trying for a very long time to make astrocytes look like neurons. So that's a mistake. Mm -hmm. We just have to find what they are. And once we characterize them without forcing the, the interpretations, mm -hmm. try to find out what, where that time scale is relevant for. Mm -hmm. Is it relevant to any 
phenomenon in the brain, I think this is the way to go, not just, so the, these very ultra fast representations of neurons that last few milliseconds, that astrocytes have nothing to do with it, obviously, because that's beyond their time scale, but other, other phenomena in the brain that have been there, where the astrocytes can be useful, that's the thing, the, the way to go. Okay, so now, um, could you imagine astrocytes as a substrate of memory? Like, is memory is to carry information over time, and you do that by, by stable structural change. Um, do you think astrocytes have the properties, the basic, also um, biomechanical and the biochemical tools, to, to form memories and store information over time? I think it's a biophysical question whether they have something that can have many different positions to store information. Yeah. So that's the question, and the question is, can different calcium transients do that? Yeah. They, we don't know, we have to ask that question and mm -hmm. analyze it. Because the question is, of course, then, if they provide context in which neurons operate, this context might have to also be associative it may as be, much as the neurons are that, Right, the, the question is whether this context is just supportive, mm -hmm metabolically supportive or more structurally mm -hmm. supportive or it's really an intelligent support and That's it's doing it. something for neurons mm -hmm. um, um, there are the the questions of what are the variables that neurons encode is not totally clarified mm -hmm. because they know that some variables like odor or or sounds or colors I know the the neurons encode those variables and in, in, in the representations that are happening in the time scale of milliseconds, but there are other variables mm -hmm. that are error, for right. instance. There are many other variables that the brain uses, and I don't think we have discovered them, and perhaps some of those variables are bolder, or, and that is the, the realm of astrocytes. Mm -hmm. And, but they are very important too, like associations, contests, uh, providing averages, perhaps they do that. They carry out the statistics of the brain mm -hmm. in this model of prediction coding, mm -hmm. where the brain is sort of time doing the statistics about how their predictions are confirmed by experience, but that's a lot of error calculation. Mm -hmm. And some of, uh, I've, I've written papers that describe that some of the parameters around the error calculation take place in a, in a time scale of seconds, mm -hmm. actually. Some of them are really fast, and some of them are slower, the ones that require more com more computation. And that perhaps mm -hmm. is the this kind of buffering. Well, probably. It's, it's perhaps what the kind of things that astrocytes do. Mm -hmm. So they are not, I don't think they encode for concepts or for colors or for others. I think those neurons do that, and that is related to their to, to the lack of a specialization of astrocytes. So neurons are highly specialized. And for me, that means that they encode for many different things, place and music. I don't think astrocytes do that. I think astrocytes do general things, general computations, general, providing general context in a time scale of, of seconds. So the question is what variables are, are, are encoding? That, that's the question, but I, I think there are, different variables that are broader, mm -hmm. but those variables are probably important too well, in, in determining. A, one way to get a handle on that is of course you could look at the different pathologies where astrocytes are involved. 
So what are the outstanding pathologies? Very multi-node pathologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, any brain pathology has sick uh, uh, astrocytes. Mm-hmm. The question there, so they're morphologically changed and molecular change. The question is, what is the contribution no, of that astrocyte to the pathology? How many diseases are there that specifically Attack there are there are yes Alexander's disease. There are uh-huh. some diseases where GFAP has mutations and that causes changes. Yeah. So what are the specific phenotypes you get? They are retarded. The mm-hmm. the children that have it problems with the blood brain barrier. Yes. But problems. are there any diseases that specifically affect astrocytes later in life in the adult stage? It's not it's not known. Mm-hmm. It's not known because. Astrocytes also get older, mm-hmm. and probably they are dysfunctional, but we don't know, and are they affected by disease. The question is right. whether this is an epiphenomenon, whether it's just the main cause of the disease, or it's just a lateral thing. Mm-hmm. That's the question, but they absolutely they don't work that well. But you are interested in developing therapeutics. Yes, because we have data. And um, we are very driven by data. Then, when we manipulate astrocytes, we manage to recover brain function very effectively. Mm-hmm. And that's an Alzheimer's disease. Um, in traumatic brain injury, in Alzheimer's disease, we are still trying to understand the molecular makeup mm-hmm. of the astrocyte change, mm-hmm. because we don't. That the problem is that we cannot. So far, we we don't have astrocytes isolated from human brains for obvious reasons. So we, we are trying to understand how what happens to astrocytes in in Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. Happens means all these homeostatic functions, metallic functions, are they changed? Mm-hmm. And if they are, how that does it contribute to disease progression or not? Does it make any difference whether we treat them or, or not? So my understanding is that we should go for combination therapies and focusing on the neurons is a big mistake. Because going back to the vascular system, if you even if you have the finest treatment for neurons in order to help them make these amazing spines, if they the blood system, the vascular system is not working, mm-hmm. the treatment is not going to work. So it's a, a very obvious thing, but the the field is not realizing that some very obvious things are not being done. And for me, recovering the function of astrocytes, it's as important as recovering the function of, of blood vessels in order to cure any disease. And in addition, perhaps then we can target the neurons more specifically, but I think recovering astrocytes will have a major impact on, on disease recovery because so, of all the many things they do. Right. So that's a fantastic outlook, right? So, and now, so in your career, you have, in some sense, you're in this minority field, right? That is is not necessarily uh, in in the limelight of of neuroscience, but that also, as you show now, in clinical application has incredible promise. And in some sense, it is a scientific field per se, in the sense that there's still so much to discover, right? It is. And we're really just at the beginning of understanding this whole system. So you're you're now pursuing this for for quite a while. Um, so, if others would like to follow you, understanding the brain from that perspective, what is Elena's law that we should adhere to? Um, just 
consider astrocytes and neurons and microglia and oligodendrocytes and vascular cells at the same time. So my, my point is like, yeah, I, absolutely. So getting, getting astrocytes with neurons, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So uh, stop studying cells in isolated systems. The inclusive. O always get, try to be as complex as possible. So we need to be, to have simple models because otherwise we cannot really study them, but they need to be complicated enough in order to be meaningful for anything. So that's the point. So with astrocytes, we need to have great astrocytes and, and study circuits. We have to find the minimum, uh, you, the minimum circuit that is relevant for astrocyte functions and then analyze how they interact with neurons. Right. So that's that's the the key idea is to stop studying. You're interested in astrocytes. Stop studying astrocytes only. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> get you know get, collaborate with neuronal people and get outside and, and study astrocytes mm -hmm. in addition to other cell types. So stop the xenophobia. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's when yeah that's to, to me. Otherwise, we won't cure diseases. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, unless we have an integral view of the brain right. that is based upon circuits for me that's 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 very important idea well that's an interesting point right that, that you make here with you see a lot of also big pharmaceutical companies have actually withdrawn from the brain because, because everything they threw it or the failed. failure with the failure has been and you would say that's because of this neurocentric perspective well is it well is neurocentric perspective is the not giving the drug in the right moment depending on the disease in the case of Alzheimer's disease it's just all the treatments have been very late mm -hmm when the brain is not destroying us, it's not doing that much. But yeah, I think we need to understand the, I think brain are circuits and we, we need to understand that and target and, and re restore circuit function. To me, this is the key. It's not just restoring one neuron function or one astrocyte, restoring the function circuits. And that's going to be more effective on the recovery of a given disease or in the prevention of a given disease because the, these circuits are impaired very early in disease. They're actually an excellent diagnostic marker for early alterations. And to me, that's the focus, the therapeutic focus and the and the focus for the basic research from the astrocyte point of view, from the neuron and from microglia point of view. And NG2 and G2 cells are fantastic. Mm -hmm. We don't really know, and they, they do have spikes actually. So this, classification of neurons and the spike and cells that don't spike, NG2 have, have spikes mm -hmm. because they are in the, like in the middle and they're fantastic too. Mm -hmm. So we... And you mentioned now the end of our discussion. Right, mm -hmm. but because I'm, I'm interested, so the... the are they as voluminous as astrocytes? How? Are they as voluminous as astrocytes? Yeah, they're, they're very big. They are too very big and they share some developmental origin. And they talk to the astrocytes as well? That's not known. Okay. It's not known. Mm -hmm. But I think we have to have comprehensive... But why are they differentiated from neurons if they also spike? Why were they... Because they don't... They, they're not as sophisticated as neurons. They don't have actions, for instance. They don't transmit information. They don't have, like, long distance. Okay, but... They don't, have, they don't have spines, I think. Perhaps they do because... Does they, they form synapses? I think, actually, there's a, I think there's a paper talking about the uh, NG2 neuronal synapse. I'm not sure about that, I think. Okay, that's your next talk, because... But, but yeah, the, the point for me is that we focus on our cell type or something, because we need to focus on something, mm -hmm. but don't 
don't lose the perspective that you're looking at a small right. thing and that if you perhaps you're missing the connections with other elements you're missing the whole point that's right. to me that's my point no that's a point also well taken and it's like em em embrace sort of this inclusive perspective right it's not only about only neurons only exercise also look at this whole variable collection of cells that form circuits that we call the brain. No, also, moreover, I, I I talked in the in the in the talk the um, like neurons are, are highly diverse. So even saying maybe neuron is about word too. Mm -hmm. It's perhaps I'm right. going too far, mm -hmm. but neuron is about word because if the mouse they discover in the somatosensory cortex thirty types of different neurons. Mm -hmm. Right. Just there. So imagine, imagine in the whole brain, we have thousands of different types of neurons. So neuron is about turn two, mm -hmm. and if we don't understand that they are very different in different circuits, they may share some roles. Mm -hmm. But then now the difference may be really very relevant in the way they interact with with other cells types and the way they they encode and the way they store information. That perhaps that's a problem. So mm -hmm. let's. Stop saying neurons. Okay. <laughs> but now, so four years from now, we'll come visit you here in Barcelona, in your lab, and I'm going to check whether the prediction you made today was falsified or confirmed. What prediction? That's the question. What's the uh, prediction that is most critical to your research that you would like to see analyzed? That astrocytes encode specific, specific variables in information processing. Mm -hmm. That's my that they they encode. Okay, well, that's that's the predict that's the prediction. The answer may be that they don't. Mm -hmm. There are some maybe that some variables that are relevant mm -hmm. to higher brain functions are encoded by astrocytes. Okay, very good. That's Elena my Galea. Thank you very much for this thank conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much. The CSN podcast was produced by the Convergent Science Network of Biomedics and Biohybrid Systems project funded by the European 7th Research Framework Program. For more interviews, recorded lectures, or upcoming conferences in the field of biomimetics and biohybrid systems, go to csnnetwork.eu. And thank you for listening.